Hi, welcome to Ready to Scale Season 3. I'm your host, Ellie Perlman. I'm a real estate investor, syndicator, and operator of multifamily properties. And in this season, we're going to focus on dialogues that drive success. Building real wealth is not a fairy tale nor rocket science, but there's so much to learn. So grab a cup of coffee and join me each week for in-depth conversations with successful real estate investors. Conversations that are designed to help you drive your wealth, investment, knowledge, and lifestyle to the next level. And of course, you can always go to my website, elliperlman.com, to read more about investing passively in multifamily. Welcome to the High Achievers series, where I'm going to talk about advanced real estate investing and wealth topics for ultra high net worth individuals, experienced investors in family offices. I'm Ellie Perlman, your host, broadcasting from the very, very cold but sunny Providence in Rhode Island. So today I'm going to talk about data traps, how to recognize subtle flaws in an investor package. As a passive investor, you're probably investing with at least one syndicator. And every time they have a deal, they send you know everyone who's investing passively with them an investor package with a summary of the opportunity, the market, the business plan, and probably also a snapshot of the financials or the performa. And I want to talk about kind of subtle flaws that are pretty significant that can be detected in an investor package that most investors do not pay attention to. And I'm not talking about the obvious red flags. So obviously, if you see very, very low cash on cash, very low IRR, or very high IRR, for instance, 20% IRR on a five-year hold of a Class B multifamily property in Texas or in Atlanta, for instance, doesn't really make sense because we see those very high IRRs in the wrong area of town or at a very risky investment, maybe it's a development deal. So I'm not talking about the obvious things, you know, such as also the debt structure. If we're talking about a riskier investment with higher LPV, you know, 90% LPV or fluctuating interest rates, bridge debt. I'm not talking about those very apparent red flags. I'm not saying that these deals are not going to be good, but they indicate that there's a higher risk. As a very experienced investor, you probably notice those things. I'm going to talk about the subtle things that many investors, even the most experienced ones, tend to kind of skip over. And before I'm going to do this, a little bit about me, if this is the first time you're watching my video or listening to my podcast. So I started my love affair with real estate about a decade ago as a commercial real estate lawyer back in 2007, 2008, went through the major real estate crash with my clients at the time, then transitioned to property management and then came full cycle, you know, went to MIT, got my MBA degree, and shortly after started Lake Capital, and basically I'm a syndicator, so I buy class B multifamily properties, value add deals in Texas, Florida, Georgia, and the Carolinas. And I do that with my investors. So I invest my own money in every deal. My family invests money in every deal. And I bring investors to partner with me on the deals and we hold 
properties between three and seven years, depending on the opportunity. And so back to our topic, the subtle flaws that you need to pay attention to that can be detected in an investor package. So the first thing that I see a lot of investors glance over is the bottom line in the financials that are usually part of the investor package and how they stuck against the prior year. So if you're looking at the performa and the numbers kind of look good, you glance over usually, you know, many investors glance over to the next page. But what you should pay attention to is the T12, meaning, you know, the, the T12, the last 12 months of the property's operations, how that is compared to year one. So if you're looking at 20, 25% growth in NOI between T12 and year one, it may be the deal of the year, but it also could be a very aggressive underwriting, especially, especially during COVID. And the same goes between year one and year two. It's a very easy calculation. You look at the bottom line NOI, net operating income, which is basically income minus expenses, which you probably know that by now. And you compare the number, the projected number in year one compared to T12 and compared to year two and from year two to year three. Because what you're trying to sense is whether there's a flaw there of a sponsor that is being extremely aggressive and think that, you know, they can increase the NOI by 25, 20, 30%. And I've seen those deals, they're out there. And again, it doesn't mean that the deal is not a good deal, but it's a red flag, which means you want to inquire a bit more. How is it possible that the net operating income is going to increase that much, you know, in a 12 month period? And you can break it down if you want to be a little bit more granular, you want to I can break it down and compare the growth in income, compare the growth in expenses. Obviously, you want to see an increase in income, but what would be a reasonable increase? That's the question you need to ask yourself as an experienced investor. Am I okay with 5 6% increase? Does it make sense? Or, you know, if I see 20%, 12%, it should be some sort of a red flag. How is a sponsor planning on pushing the income by 20%. That's a pretty big project. And the same with expenses. If expenses are kind of flat year over year, doesn't make sense because we all know that expenses are growing. So a healthy 2 to 3% increase in expense is very much reasonable and you want to look, you know, you want to search for those numbers. So that's the the number one subtle flaw that, you know, I see many investors skip over. Now, the second one is the business plan assumptions and the reserves. When it comes to business plan assumptions, you know, the investor package usually has very nice pictures of before and after of an interior, you know, unit renovation. This is how a classic unit looks like. This is the new renovated unit and they're planning on making the property much nicer, which is great is what I do. However, many investor packages do not talk about how long it's going to take them to complete the renovation plan and when they're going to start doing it. And so, for instance, during COVID, on many deals, we're assuming, at least for underwriting purposes, that we're not going to renovate any units during the first six, seven, eight, 12 months of operations because we still need to see what, what's going on in the market and whether there's going to be a demand for those renovated units because usually they come with a higher price point, with a premium. 
And so looking at the business plan is one thing, but a major flaw or actually a subtle flaw is when are you going to start implementing the business plan? Does it make sense? And how long is it going to take you to do it? So if you're looking at, let's say, 200 unit deal and the business plan is to renovate all the units or even, let's say, 50% of the units, 100 units, the time frame that it has been allocated, let's say, is 12 months. Is it possible to renovate 100 units over 12 months? Does the sponsor have the right team, the right expertise, the right experience to renovate about 8 to 10 to 12 units every month? Not every property management company can do it. Not every sponsor can do it. You need to have systems in place. You need to be very experienced with working in that specific market. And so looking for the exact timeline and the assumptions for every business plan is one of the things that investors kind of skip over. The same for reserves. It's very important to look in the investor package for information about reserves. How much money is a sponsor planning on having as extra as reserves in case there's going to be an unexpected one time, one big project, one big expense could be a pipe that bursted could be you know, the roof. So you want to make sure that you're looking at reserves. Most investors never ask how much money do you have in reserves. And that's pretty key because if you're going to need to use all the cash so that you have one, two, three months to cover for an unexpected expense, these are months that you're, that investors are not going to get paid. So you want to make sure as an investor that not only the business plan makes sense, but also that there's enough money in reserves for unexpected one-time CapEx items. That's extremely, extremely important. And today during COVID, it's a bit more challenging to have reserves because the lenders are requiring COVID reserves, which can be anywhere between nine to 12 months of debt payments. So that's an additional money that normally sponsors need either to raise or to take some of the money that they've allocated for the CapEx and the renovations and put it aside for this. So you want to understand how the sponsor is, you know, planning on managing the reserves. That's, you know, the second thing that is kind of a subtle flaw in investor packages. There's usually not a lot of information about reserves, not a lot of information about the business plan assumptions. And as a high net worth individual or family office that is looking to partner with a sponsor. It's one of the things that you want to look at. Now, the third thing that is a very, very subtle flaw in an investor package is the exit cap rate. So obviously, you know, the cap rate is, you know, if you take the NOI and you divide price, so NOI over price, that gives you the cap rate. Now, income, the in-place cap rate, so cap rate that the sponsor bought the property at, at that specific price point Normally around the U.S. right now, I would say in secondary markets, it's around it's anywhere between four and a half to five and a quarter, maybe five and a half. And many times there are IRR projections, but can be heavily impacted by the exit cap, meaning what is the assumption that in five years, the market cap rate is going to be that will basically enable the sponsor to sell the property at a certain price. So if the property is bought at a five cap and the assumption is that in five years, cap rates are going to still stay strong 
and you can exit at 5.1 or 5.2. In my opinion, as a very conservative sponsor and investor, that's very aggressive. And of course, it would drive the IRR, you know, it's going to be a pretty impressive IRR. But the question is, can you really assume that in five years, cap rates are going to still remain strong? If you're mistaken, and they're going to be, you know, lower than what you think the cap rates are today, then more power to you as a sponsor, because you're basically can exit at a much higher price. But my assumption, and this is what, you know, my piece of advice to you as a passive investor or a family office looking at a deal is to examine very carefully the exit cap rate. Our rule of thumb is about 10 basis points higher per year that we're holding the property. There's obviously exceptions. You know, if we buy an off-market deal and we buy it at a higher cap rate in the market, we look at the baseline is the market cap rate. But you always want to make sure that the exit cap is higher than the in-place cap rate because you want to make sure that the IRR projections are actually reasonable. The assumption is that in five years, the market is not going to be as strong that cap rates are going to increase, which means that real estate prices are going to go down. And that's another thing that most investor packages don't really discuss or disclose. And it has a huge impact on returns. And so just to sum it up, The subtle flaws in investor packages that as an ultra high net worth individuals or family office, what you should be looking at is, again, the number one thing is the NOI income and expenses assumptions in the performa in year one compared to the T12 and in year one compared to year two, et cetera. The second thing is the business line assumptions. Do they make sense? And also, are there enough reserves in case there's any need for a one-time large CapEx payment? And the third one is the exit cap rate and whether that makes sense and how the exit cap rate compares to the in-place cap rate. That's it for today. It was a quick video just to share with you what are the subtle flaws in investor packages. I'm also a passive investor, so when I'm investing with other sponsors, These are the things that I'm looking at before I look at anything else. All right. I hope that that brought value to you. Take care, stay safe, and I'll see you on the next episode. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.